All right, what is up, everybody? We're gonna talk about mobility, posture, breathing, muscle imbalances, asymmetries, how to fix them, how to address them, all those good things. Um, I feel like I haven't done a mobility one in a while, and you know, I had a a new client, Hillary. Shout out to you for listening to this, and uh, kind of working on her, like trying to help strengthen core and pelvic area and glutes, and trying to remove back pain. And I don't know, it just kind of made me just thinking about more mobility stuff just for clients and just I think it's good for you guys to have the education on knowing what to do right when it comes to all those things so for some of you that maybe you've been listening or following along for a long time like you understand that I kind of have like a three-step process when it comes to addressing how to fix a mobility issue right we go through release we go through a lengthening phase we go through a strengthening phase and those are kind of the three sequential steps that I like to go through but then there's going to be other things that I want to unpack today that are kind of with they're kind of foundation to all of those right then it's like it's passive work versus active work right it's using your breath correctly to facilitate the response that you want from your body right and then the other one is kind of just lifestyle and position-based mobility right so i want to start with uh, the breathing one first and i actually want to kind of do like a fun little drill that i did with the team probably about three four weeks ago i want you guys to try this if you're driving maybe try this when you get home but it's a it's a drill to show you what you're more biased towards, right? Meaning that your posture is going to change based off your your kind of nervous system, right? And your position of that, right? And what I mean by that is like someone that naturally is more sympathetic is going to have an easier time inhaling and a harder time exhaling, right? And this is not like a blanket statement. There's always nuances to us and outliers to it. Um, but for the most part, that's what I mean for this conversation. So what I want you guys to do, if you have the chance, is I want you to try to time yourself and see what the longest inhale you can do, right? And then try to see what the longest exhale you can do. And maybe do like three or four rounds. Don't do them back to back, like separate them. And then try to establish if your body is better at inhaling or if your body is better at exhaling. When you think about an inhalation phase, right? When I go to inhale, right? If you were to take a big breath in, right what's happening is your body's going through extension it's going through external rotation and it's going through abduction meaning like if you think about what your body's doing even just taking the breath in what happens like your arms open up a little bit your rib cage flares out a little bit right so you have all this extension external rotation and abduction which can you know create a great stretching sensation for those that are maybe stuck in the opposite area right if you're stuck in flexion or internal rotation using a big inhalation is one of those great processes and kind of things that you can do to open up some of that space right inhalation is more sympathetic right meaning when you inhale it's more like when you think about the tone that it creates for the body from a nervous system perspective it's more fight or flight when you think about exhale exhale is more parasympathetic right and when you think about the exhalation phase of breathing when you breathe out your body collapses down into flexion, internally rotates, and adducts, right? So it does the three opposite things, obviously, of inhalation. So if you have someone that is stuck in extension, right? So anterior pelvic tilt, rib flare, you know, there's someone that their posture is going to be more biased towards inhalation, meaning that they're going to have a harder time to exhale, which means that it's more important for them when they're doing their stretching mobility and uh, any type of strength training drill to really focus on an extended exhalation phase, right? 
So when you go through this breathing count drill for yourself, like for me personally, I am someone that it's, it's way easier for me to inhale than it is to exhale, right? And my posture naturally is a little bit more overextended. I have an anterior tilt. I have a little bit of a ribcage flare. So my posture and my mechanics, if you're watching this on YouTube, I'm using my hands here, you know, that tilt of the pelvis forward and that rib cage extending, basically kind of poking out forward is kind of opening up space on the front side, right? Making it easier for the diaphragm and all those respiratory muscles to actually inhale, which is why it's easier for me to inhale. And I am also someone that is a more sympathetic tone. I'm more fight or flight. I'm more a high rev. So when I do my mobility, when I do my stretching, when I do some strength training exercise, when I do some core exercises, I have to really keep an emphasis on the exhalation phase of what I'm doing. Because when you think about this, right? So if we were to think about an anterior pelvic tilt and like lower cross syndrome, a very basic kind of way to look at this, you have tight hip flexors, tight lower back, you have a lengthened and weak core and glutes, right? So basically they're crossed. It's like an X across the pelvis. I need to be able to get my glutes stronger and my core stronger in order to kind of get them into a more neutral position, right? So shortening them a little bit and then getting them strong there. If you were to take a long breath out with me, you feel how the rib cage tightens down, how the kind of core gets tighter, obviously, how the pelvis kind of rolls back a little bit. So that exhalation, those muscles that control that are also the things that control the position of the rib cage and the pelvis. So when you're doing this exhalation, something I was doing with my client yesterday, Hillary, is like, you know, we want to exaggerate the exhale. Meaning if you're, if I'm saying ex exhale for five seconds and you feel like, oh, I'm running out of breath in five or six seconds, go to eight, right? Like go to a point where you're trying to breathe that air that you feel like you don't even have left, right? So if you're someone that is more sympathetic, more in that kind of stressed out state or in a more extended position, anterior pelvic tilt, posting out the rib cage, things like that, then you would benefit from more exhalation work, right? Or just more emphasis around that. You obviously need to do both. Now, for someone the opposite, like my girlfriend, for example, She's someone that has a easier time doing an exhale, right? So her posture was more, and she kind of has that forward kind of flex position. She would benefit the opposite of doing more exhalation work, right? So that's kind of one thing that just kind of foundationally to understand about your mobility, that your mobility is dictated by your nervous system, right? If you think about the ability for a tissue to lengthen from point A to point B, insertion to origin of a muscle, they're always at two points, right? A lot of times that restriction can be soft tissue where the fascia and the muscles and they just haven't experienced that range of motion or explored that range of motion so long. So you're basically, your body clicks like copy and paste, boom, right? It's like, okay, we're, we're, we're control save, right? It was a, that's, that's the range of motion that we own. This is the range of motion that we use. So the, that is kind of another part of it today is that I want to talk about is the positions that you spend time in, right? Um, I always kind of say three things when it comes to mobility. Number one, the positions that you spend time in and the ranges that you use daily are the ranges that your body thinks it owns, right? That's why you have good range of motion for positions you spend time in. That's why most people, they look like, wow, I look like I sit in an office chair all day. It's like, well, you do. So your body adapts to that kind of stuff. So adaptation is totally normal. It could be good or bad depending on how you view it. Second thing is you need to be able to control your breath, right? Nice, long inhales, being able to pause a long and probably twice as long exhale to really kind of facilitate a more parasympathetic response to allow that nervous system to go, hey, I'm okay, I'm good, I'm safe, I'm stable. So your exhalation is cueing that, right? So if you think about this long exhalation phase, you're allowing your body to actually kind of relax. And that's why like something we switched... Um, I think it was probably just a cycle ago so probably about six weeks ago now 
instead of doing time for cooldown stretches, we started doing breath counts. And I guarantee you there's still a lot of people that are not doing them. And this is, you know, calling out all those people that skip cooldowns or just don't even put intention behind what they're doing behind it. Um, you got to remember when you're doing something that's stressful, aka exercising is a very stressful response to your body. You need to do things that downregulate it, right? Life is about balance. The yin and yang between both of these things are really what makes the body work optimally, right? So if you think about your time working versus your time recovering, right? If you think about your time training versus your time cooling down, like there needs to be a response that kind of brings the body back down. If not, you know, people that exercise a lot and train really hard and probably if even overdo it or don't sleep or super stressed out, you're creating more sympathetic tone in the body, right? Meaning the nervous system is gonna naturally make you more tense, right? Because it's 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 trying to respond to what you're giving it, right? And the response that you're giving it is stress and stress and stress. So a lot of times with both foam rolling or lengthening or stretching or anything else that I'm talking about, really having controlled breath cycles but really long exhales is the thing that's going to be kind of the magic for you guys so number one is obviously the position and the ranges that you spend time number two is being able to control your breath in any of these positions that you spend time in and then number three which is the last one which is going to be the contraction that you can create both on the muscle that you're stretching and or the muscle the antagonist muscle to the muscle you're stretching meaning if i'm doing a couch stretch to stretch out my quads and my hip flexors the antagonist muscles would be like my glutes and my hamstrings, mainly my glutes. So when I'm doing a couch stretch, if I can't squeeze my glutes, I'm not really telling the brain and communicating to the brain that we this range of motion we own, right? We If I can breathe there and I can contract both muscles if I want to, I can contract the hip flexors or mainly, like obviously for the sake of this, contract the glutes, then that stretch is too intense. And you're not really working on a position that's going to be saved right so if you think about the software side of like saving your document and saving your range of motion that only happens when you can breathe there you can contract there and obviously have plenty of time and repetitions and volume there which is basically your daily position and kind of range of motion so now addressing these issues for you guys like number one is i always like to look at i'll go through the three kind of things that we talk about the big three is like number one is you got to do some type of release work i love soft tissue not for the fact that it makes muscles longer because it helps facilitate a neuromuscular response from the brain to the body to the muscles that we're okay here and that pressure is gonna allow um, for a response that's gonna kind of let that muscle just kind of like, in a sense, like relax, right? And why, that's where the quote unquote length is coming from when you're doing soft tissue, trigger point work, massage therapy, cupping, Graston technique, ART, like all these other different manipulation tactics. Um, are all under the same umbrella of soft tissue. And soft tissue's job is to facilitate a neuromuscular response, right? So I will always be a fan of doing, quote-unquote, any type of soft tissue or foam rolling before, during, after. There's not really a wrong or right time um, for some people that are in a really tough state or really kind of corrective state or tight or just really, really in a lot of pain. Then you probably need to be doing it more than you think you do. So don't be afraid of like, well, this person says do it before, this person says do it after. I personally find sustainability and compliance to be best doing it during the workout. I find that it's probably most ideal to do it post-workout so you can spend, you know, that 5, 10, 20 minutes doing extra cool down and just kind of letting your body relax and working on some of these ranges of motion and some of that stiffness that you created through the workout. Um, but I'm going to tell you right now, most people like to get the fuck out of the gym when they're done working out and they rush their cool downs. That's just why we put more of it in the warm-up and during for us. But, like, you want to find what works for you. And, like, that's obviously the big thing. And when you're rolling... 
or do I get any soft tissue? There is both active and passive, right? Like ART is active release technique, right? And that's basically if I were to have like a chiropractor, a massage therapist, like dig their thumb into my chest and I'm on the side of a massage table. And then they're like, okay, I want you to reach overhead and I hold it. So their thumb is creating the pressure, but really where the lengthening and shortening of the tissue is coming from is from my movement because I am doing the movement of the muscle and the joint and the action, right? So that's more active. So if you're rolling out your quads, something that we like to do, we did it on... Um, I think it was or Tuesday and Friday. Well, today actually, for our deload week, as we're like foam rolling the quads at the end of the workout, we start passively, just roll up and down from knee to hip, from the inside to the outside to the center, right, and find the areas that feel a little bit more sensitive. Then when you find that area, I want you to relax there. I want you to breathe, most importantly, into it. And then I want you to start kicking yourself in the butt with your foot, right? So kick yourself in the butt, extend that leg. So now you're shortening and lengthening the quad. That is active because the pressure of the foam roller or tool that you're using is creating that kind of that pinpoint where it's pinning the muscle down. But then I'm shortening and lengthening around it. It's more active, which I will always be on the other side that I believe active is going to give you a better response. Because you're now, you're getting the nervous system to be involved in this work. Versus passive is just kind of like a feel-good thing, right? Like a Swedish massage. It feels good. I get a couple's massage in Valentine's. It feels good, I leave. But it doesn't do shit, right? It doesn't really respond the same way as something like doing active releasing work. And that's the same thing for stretching, which is the next part. Lengthening is going to be kind of, there's dynamic. So if I were to sit here and swing my arms in circles, that's going to be dynamic shoulder work. That could be active or passive. Passive is using more momentum and speed. Active is kind of really slowing it down and controlling, but you're still always moving. That's what makes it dynamic. Static is holding a position, right? So if I'm doing a couch stretch again against a wall or a bench, and I'm holding that, that's static. If I'm not squeezing my butt, um, if I'm not creating contraction at the core, if I'm not going to create that prox or that kind of stiffness that we want, that would make it more passive. Not a bad thing, because sometimes cooling down is just about getting your body into this more parasympathetic state. So it doesn't always need to be this really aggressive active work. But back to the previous point, you're probably going to get a better response from a range of motion perspective to get it becoming more active because you're now talking to the brain saying, hey, like I can squeeze my butt here with my leg and my foot behind me, which means I own this extension, right? And then over time, I can start to load it, right? It doesn't need to be isometric or static, right? Um, so static stuff, obviously being both active and passive. Then there's things like where I believe mobility should be something that's integrated with training. So if we're going to keep the conversation of like hip flexors me doing like an HEG split squat is something I've kind of fell in love with over the last year or two and that is like an active dynamic loaded mobility right or like a barbell RDL right that's like a loaded hip flexion like a hamstring stretch right like you're using the exercise and the movement and the position that you spend time in um, as actually a stretch as well which is great and then there's also things like just positional stretching right and positional lengthening like how many times do you just spend time in the bottom of a squat Right? I try to do this like, you know, when I'm pulling out the rice steamer at night or the pots and pans, like instead of just bending over with my back all around, I like try to sit like a, a squat at the bottom. Even though I'm not in a perfect squat, I'm just like, I want to get loaded. I want my hips to feel like they've, you know, got enough stimulus or, you know, input that I can sit at the bottom of a squat relatively comfortably, right? And doing a body weight is obviously going to be a lot safer than loading it. Um, so positions that you spend time in, right? For all you desk jockeys working behind a computer in a desk all day, you know, take that laptop off the desk every once in a while, lay on your stomach on the floor, right? You being on your stomach and elbows typing, right, or doing your work or being on a Zoom call, that puts your head up in extension. That puts your thoracic and upper back into extension. And that gets those muscles on the backside that become long and weak to become short and strong. So it basically helps kind of open up that anterior side because over time, the front of the neck, the chest, the shoulders, everything rolls forward. And this is why old people start to look a little shorter because we're all ducked down and pulled down, right? So do things that 
puts you in positions that create length and create space because that's the idea of mobility, right? So doing things like push-ups, doing things like squats, doing things like hanging, doing things like pull-ups, right? Doing things like back bridges, the monkey bars. Like there's not really like the, the cool thing about movement is there is no box that you have to be in. Just like express movement and the more freedom that you can create through ranges, the better your mobility obviously will always be. So that's always a big thing. But then the third one, which is kind of the way that we always like to finish it, which is kind of a part of like active mobility and loaded mobility is also you got to strengthen the opposite side. You know, when you think about mobility or restriction and flexibility, a lot of times we think about, okay, well, there's, I have a tight hip flexor, right? Which means the muscle on the front side is like short and weak, right? And it could even necessarily not even be always weak. It just could just be short and stiff, right? Now, that generally also means that the opposite antagonist muscle is going to be long and probably weak because if I were to get my opposing antagonist muscle to become stronger, then it's going to help prevent some of that restriction on the opposite side. Like if I get my bicep to be really strong, totally flexed at the elbow, my tricep naturally has to relax more in order for me to get into these positions. So by doing these things, like you are creating range of motion through contraction and strength, right? And I always believe that like, it was just like stretch and like you just like naturally that range of motion comes and over time i've realized that it's like it's not about just stretching stretching is like a great way to create like a nervous system response that we want and do all these other things but really it's the strengthening of these ranges both in short and long positions that are going to really make it stick and that's the thing you need to remember when it comes to range of motion right so uh try to keep it pretty short as always so really focus on the breath hope you guys had a fun little drill doing the breath work to kind of figure out which more biased you are um which you need to focus on more for your stretching foam roller and strengthening then looking at doing release work your lengthening work your your obviously strengthening work integrating more full range of motion movements into your actual programming then the last thing i'll leave you guys with is i over the last few years have really come accustomed to understanding that really functional human movement, like the most functional pattern of movement is gait and everything about functional movement is contralateral. Meaning when I step forward with my right, my left leg goes behind and my arms swing, like everything's always kind of reciprocal. So something that you guys probably see for all those members that are here, like we try to incorporate more movements like that. So when I'm doing a cable press, a single arm, I'm also doing the opposite arm pullback because that creates some of that rotation that symmetry in the body versus just being very loaded on one side and not letting the other side move right or doing more split squats or walking lunges versus back squats um you know kickstand rdls single leg rdls instead of just deadlifts like incorporate more of these things that obviously create more symmetry in the body because you're training them separately from each other uh, I think those are always going to be the win-win when it comes to injury prevention, injury mitigation, like reducing pain, improving the way you feel. Um, and to be honest with you, besides your ego, it's probably going to make you better at everything else too with sports and life because there's nothing about like a heavy deadlift that's going to make you better at playing basketball, right? It's good for the ego. It's good to train. But like there's elements of some like training, like, yeah, having a probably a heavy back squat doesn't necessarily need to be asked to grasp. Might be making me better at football because like, some of these movements are bilateral, but for the most part, human movement is very unilateral, right? All right, guys. Well, as always, I hope you got some good nuggets out of this. If you feel like people can use this information, share it with them, leave a comment for me, and I will see you guys next week.